0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. Hello, America, and happy Sunday brunch edition of John Solomon Reports. We've got a good one for you today. We're going to kick off the show with a man on the front lines of the most important. First Amendment free speech case to work its way through the courts, really, in modern times, certainly in decades, could be at all time. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Lange, he's also going to run for governor next year in Louisiana. But right now, he, along with the Missouri Attorney General, are leading a landmark lawsuit against the government agencies that encouraged social media companies to censor content like the Hunter Biden laptop story, like opinions and medical expertise on the pandemic and the Shots and so much more. A uh, lot of news there this week or at the end. Or actually, really last week, since we're in Sunday now, a landmark ruling by a judge which enjoined federal agencies like the FBI, the White House and others from contacting social media companies to encourage any censorship historic ruling. It's going to work its way through the appeal system. Obviously, the Biden administration is going to try to come down on the side of censorship. But Jeff Landry is going to bring us up to speed on that. And then we're going to go down to the border. And we had this extraordinary story this week by Natalia Middlestat, the Homeland Security Inspector General, the chief watchdog of the Homeland Security Department, found that the Biden administration released a man who was on the terrorist. Watch list. An illegal immigrant in the country. They led him into the interior country without checking the list. He was on the terrorist watch list. And then it took two weeks because of Keystone Copping to retrieve that potential terrorist tied man. What a story. Secretary Wolf has some strong feelings about that. And then in the third block, Dr. J. Batichara. We talked, you know, we're going to talk with Jeff Landry about censorship. Well, Dr. J. Batichara, one of the great medical scientists in this country, respected. He had his voice silenced for months on Twitter because he disagreed with Dr. Fauci and the CDC's approach. Turns out Dr. J. Batichara was right about far more than Tony Fauci ever was right about. He has been restored to Twitter. He has been treated civilly now, but he has a lot to say, and he's working on a program to get science to acknowledge its mistakes and to go back and come up with a better plan for a future pandemic so we don't repeat the very stressful and unnecessarily bungled years of 2020 to 2022. J.B. Batacharo in the third block. And then Eric Pratt from Gun Owners of America celebrating some major court wins uh, for the Second Amendment and The fact that we now have the 26th state, Florida, that has authorized permitless carry of a gun. And perhaps more importantly, the 27th is on the horizon. Nebraska going to be next. We'll talk to Eric Proud about that. And then we'll wrap up the show today with Brian Leib. He is a champion of fighting against anti-Semitism, which is rising in so many corners of America. A very troubling trend. Brian Live not taking it. He is working to combat it from the education system all the way up to the political system, including in Congress, where some members of the squad often are accused of being anti-Semitic. Brian Live going to join us at the end of the show. So what a great show. Jeff Landry, Chad Wolf, Jay Batachara, Eric Pratt, Brian Live, back to back to back to back right after these messages on the Sunday Brunch Edition of John Solomon Reports, podcast from Justin news. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is 34 plus trillion dollars in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Text just news to 98, 98, 98 right now. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors, particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition, the way. And feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down. And my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code Just News. That's promo code Just News at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code Just News for 15% off.
1: Welcome back, everybody. On July 4th, we all experienced freedom in a couple different ways. We not only celebrated our great nation's 247th birthday, but we also celebrated a First Amendment victory in the courts as federal judge Terry Dowdy granted an injunction to restrict the Biden administration from working directly with social media companies to dictate and censor American speech online. Well, as of last night, the Biden administration, of course, has appealed on this decision, and we have the perfect first guest here. To react to this decision, in fact, he's part of the very legal equation that continues to fight for freedom here at home. He is Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, and he joins us now. General, welcome back to the show, sir, and a big congratulations to you.
2: Well, thank you. What a great Independence Day. Thank you all for having me again. We've been talking about this case for quite some time on this show. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it. Well. well, we have been
1: talking about it. And I was thinking back to the last time we discussed this. And, you know, oftentimes in the media, you hear characterizations of cases like this using terms like, you know, Orwellian and Ministry of Truth and, um, you know, worse infringement on the First Amendment. The judge used that terminology. A federal judge used that terminology in a case like this. Does that speak to the severity of the infringement of our First Amendment?
2: Absolutely. Look, I've been saying from the beginning since last year when we filed this case, this could be the most important First Amendment case in our modern times. And that's what we, we have here. I mean, look, I think the judge did an unbelievable uh, job of laying out in a 154 page opinion as to why we are liable to prevail. Well, we are most likely to prevail in proving that the government violated American citizens' First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah, it is extraordinary, sir, what you've turned up, the questions that you've asked in these incredible depositions, the discovery that mm-hmm. you forced into the public record. It seems to me now that we had a whole of government sensor machine. It wasn't one bad actor, right? You've got the White House, the CDC, uh, the FBI, and so many others, Homeland Security. How DOJ, widespread was this? DOJ? Oh,
2: right? oh, oh yeah, DOJ, CISA, I mean, you know, look, that's the most amazing thing about the opinion. And and I would encourage Americans to go out there and read it. I think the judge lays the opinion out. It's not really written in, in a whole lot of legalese. I think it's laid out in a lot of layman's terms. But we can pick apart and see all of the different aspects under which the federal government was basically going out there censoring American speech. And here's the thing. Free speech is not supposed to have an approval process, John. I mean, let's think about it. The First Amendment was designed to allow Americans to debate in the marketplace of ideas so we didn't have to fight it out in the streets. I mean, our ability to dispute, to have dispute, and then to challenge our government was a core principle to liberty, And of course, what we found in this case was that the government is out there ratcheting that down on us. They don't want us to talk about things that they don't want us to talk about. And if we disagree with them, they want us to be silenced, whether it deals with elections, the origin of COVID-19, some of the healthcare uh, policy choices they were making during the the COVID um, pandemic. And the list goes on and on. If they're allowed to do this, There is no reach that they can't go.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah,
1: sir. um, The Biden administration has appealed and I'm starting to see a narrative emerge from Democrats. This uh, chicken little mentality that, oh, my gosh, now, you know, they're not going to be able to coordinate. This was years long efforts to coordinate on on squashing terrorist activity and child exploitation. This has nothing to do with that, does it?
2: It does not. There's nothing in the order that prevents the government from putting out their information, right? If they believe that there's some story trending, that they believe is false, they have the ability to meet that story on that same platform with the facts and tell their side of it. That's called debate, right? That's called how you protect the First Amendment. The problem the government has is it lacks credibility. No one believes them anymore because they tell us so many things that are not so. But nowhere in the opinion does it say that the government is muzzled. The opinion just says that the government can't muzzle Americans. Yeah, that's...
0: And it's extraordinary that we'd even think that the government would think of doing that. But it's so widespread now. It's everywhere. I want to ask General Landry, a lot of times the Democrats and their nonprofit partners in this censorship machine say we were just fighting disinformation. But there's a lot of things that you've uncovered that were actually factually true statements that the government was still trying to censor. How uh, does the disinformation label really work based on the evidence you've seen?
2: Well, no, that's the problem, John. I mean, look. Let's take a couple of examples, right? Um, let's take the origin of COVID nineteen gain of function research. We had many very esteemed and rewarded and 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 renowned epidemiologists, scientists, virologists, who at the very beginning of the pandemic started looking at the virus and said, "Ah, maybe it's genetically modified. This thing doesn't look natural in form. And they were ushered out of the cyberspace, right? Mm -hmm. They were banned, shadow banned, put in Facebook jail, ostracized. And yet, what do we find now? Now, even the FBI has had to go back and say, well, you know, based upon our information, it looks like it might have come out of the Wuhan lab. I mean, think about that. Didn't Americans have the right to debate that? Didn't we have the right to question it at the time? Just think about the decision-making process that would have occurred had we been able to accurately determine that and Fauci not hit it. Let's talk about the 2020 election where the FBI tells all the social media platforms to watch out for Russian information and dis- or disinformation and malinformation and interference in our elections. And yet they, New York Post issues a story about the Hunter Biden laptop, which we know today would have absolutely swayed many voters had they known that it was real. The FBI had the laptop in their possession. They don't say anything. They allow the social media platforms to shadow ban, to kick people off, to, de- to try to do their best, to make it look like they debunk the story. Doesn't the federal government have the responsibility to tell the American citizens the truth since they want to be the ministers of truth? Where is the truth in not letting us know that the Biden laptop was a real thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And we all watched that happen in real time. It was, it was incredible to see. I want to switch gears though, because something else that Republicans are fight to protect are fighting to protect the, uh, the parents right to parent. And we are seeing parental rights bills sweep the nation. The last number I saw, I think was 32 states have proposed parental rights, uh, legislation coming down the pike. Louisiana is one of them, but your Democrat governor, John Bell Edwards vetoed it. Can, can Louisiana state GOP uh, rally together and over overrule that?
2: Well, look, I think we're going to be going into a veto session. The governor also vetoed a pediatric transgender bill that I think is going to draw a lot of ear and have enough momentum to bring them into an override session. I can tell you this, you know, I'm running for governor in the state of Louisiana. And certainly if we can't override that governor's veto. We won't need a big majority to pass it because I'll sign those bills. We let a parent, mm-hmm. we, we let a, a a protection bill to basically ensure that books in libraries were placed in age-appropriate places. We were able to get that passed, and the governor signed it. I, I really don't understand why he vetoed a couple of the bills that he did, but hey, we'll either override the veto or when Louisiana's elect me governor, I'll sign him.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So another place that you've been a champion, and that is to protecting the jobs of the people in the energy industry, a big effort to move to electric vehicles and outsource jobs to China and take away good paying jobs in the oil and gas industry. Tell us a little bit. we got about a minute left of what you're doing to protect those jobs in Louisiana.
2: Look, we've always stood for our men and women who uh, basically keep this country running on reliable, affordable energy. Uh, And I can tell you the Biden administration is doing everything they can to crush those jobs, to crush our standard of living. Uh, We've stood up whether it would be making sure that we could lease blocks in the Gulf of Mexico for drilling uh, or ensuring that pipelines could carry natural gas across the country. Uh, We have been there at that fight.
0: All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf up next right after the commercial break. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or a family member for free. What a great opportunity. Joining us right now, the former uh, secretary of the Homeland Security Department, Chad Wolf. Secretary, good to have you back on, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, This was such a disturbing report. It seems like so many of the lessons of 9-11 were in reverse in the episode that took place in the release of this person who was on the terrorist watch list. Your first impressions about what we learned and what it might say about our security posture at the border right now.
3: Well, the, the situation is disturbing, um, to say the, the very least. But unfortunately, it's not surprising. This is what happens when you break the border, when you have such an overwhelming number of individuals that you start stressing law enforcement beyond their capacity and corners get cut and things get lost in the system in the paperwork. And I think that's what you're seeing here is that CBP law enforcement officials didn't have the time to do what they normally do. They normally have um, you know, overnight to do these things. And instead they're having to make all of these snap judgments, transferring information from border patrol officers to ICE officers within a matter of minutes and hours. And the system's just not built for that. And the Biden administration knows this. And yet for two years, we continue to stress the system uh, beyond the breaking point. And this is a, this is a consequence of that. Um, I don't necessarily fault, although the IG will will get to the bottom of it, necessarily the law enforcement officers, they're doing the very best they can under just excruciating circumstances. And you're asking them to do more and more and more without additional resources and under these time constraints. And so this falls on the political leadership of this administration, um, overwhelming these Border Patrol officers with uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of migrants. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yes. So many of these statistics, I, th- I think it's important to update our audience on some of these numbers. So um, 1.7 million illegal immigrants apprehended at our borders since Biden took office, 200,000 in the month of May. I don't think we've gotten the June numbers yet. But there's another number that's really startling to me. And I know that we oftentimes think of terrorism with respect to the Middle East and and this terrorist in particular. Um, but there have also been almost 10,000 Chinese nationals coming across our border. Is that as concerning to you as these other terrorists that we might traditionally think of as Middle Eastern?
3: Well, a couple of different points there. Absolutely. When you have that many Chinese nationals coming across your southern border illegally, you've got an issue. Um, and particularly when China is, is largely our largest threat. Uh, around the world, you don't know how many of those individuals are part of that communist party and what, why is it that they want to be here inside the United States and why is it that they want to come here illegally? I think all of these are difficult questions that need to be answered. You also need to take a look at the number of known and suspected terrorists that have come across that border uh, that fortunately we have been able to pick up, or at least the ones we know about. And during the Biden administration, I think the number is up to about 225 known or suspected terrorists. And you just have to contrast that with the 16 during all four years of the Trump administration. And so it it points to an underlying problem at the border that the rest of the world now sees that the opportunity to come into the United States illegally is through that southern border. And they're coming over in numbers that we've never seen before. And then the third point, sorry, but the third point I would say is. You know, the numbers you mentioned earlier, the numbers from May are a little bit down uh, than previous months. Um, I would say that the Biden administration is now counting those numbers differently than they have before and and differently than every other administration before them, because in, in essence, they're trying to cook the books. Uh, They don't want you to count the number of illegal aliens that they're paroling into the country are no longer part of those numbers. So instead of 200,000, it's closer to 300,000 for the month of May. Uh, But you've really got to dig into what they've been doing over the course of the last several months.
0: Yeah, the shell mm-hmm. game of numbers, uh, another example yeah. of how we're not being told the truth every day. Um, I want to go to something uh, that uh, is, is a cultural moment. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, someone snuck cocaine in the White House. He got detected. All right. Uh, that's a tragic story about one person in uh, drug addiction. But a lot of people I've been talking to say, listen, this is really a story about the border because the drug cartels are pushing not only the deadly fentanyl, which we're now getting a, a grip on, understanding how bad it is, but cocaine is also flowing over in such huge amounts and we're getting to a point some of these experts are telling me and some of the frontline officers that the drug cartels have operational control at some points at the border how bad is the drug cartel capabilities uh, in controlling our border right now
3: Well, I I think there's no doubt, uh, at least from what I pick up from Border Patrol officers that I talk to and others, that there is definitely operational control by the cartels portions of that southern border. And so whether you're talking about fentanyl or you talk about cocaine or any other illegal narcotics, the, the cartels have more territory, more power and more influence now than they ever have really in, in the history of of, of being in cartels. And that's because of this crisis over the last two years because they're making millions of dollars every single day by the humans that they traffic and smuggle across that border. And of course they can put those proceeds back into their illegal narcotics business. And so for them, business is booming like none other at the moment. And so um, what we should be focused on, but we're not, unfortunately this administration is not focused on is The cartels should be public enemy number one, and we should be discussing and having real debates about what to do about the cartels, what to do about the Mexican government. These are not easy decisions, but they're decisions that Americans want their federal government to tackle. Instead, this administration continues to look at what's going on and just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, well, the cartels have always been there, and that's just how it is. And I don't accept that. I don't think the majority of Americans accept that. And so we should be looking at all options should be on the table to really target and to go after those cartels when they kill that many americans every single day over a hundred thousand in any given year they should be public enemy number one yeah no doubt
0: no doubt
1: yeah mr secretary i know i know a lot of people feel like once the illegal immigrants are here you know the horse is out of the barn the toothpaste is out of the tube there's nothing we can do about it but states like texas and florida have found some really interesting outside-of-the-box ways to deal with illegal immigration. And Florida has now outlawed IDs to undocumented migrants, IDs from five different states, Connecticut, Delaware, Vermont, Rhode Island, and Hawaii, states that offer IDs, uh, state-issued IDs to illegal immigrants. It seems to me that this might be something very smart because not only does it limit what they can do, you know, whatever you would typically need for an ID, it's not only going to do that, but it's also gonna funnel them to blue states, which I think emphasizes the problems of illegal immigration even more. Is this a good fix?
3: Well, look, I think states like Florida, like Texas and others are having to, to really be uh, you know, on the cutting edge of, of what do they do because the federal government's not stepping up to address this issue. And so they're having to look at some unique authorities and and how they can help regulate this issue. And so, yeah, I I say this, this might be something that other states need to look at as well. Uh, But I've heard this before. I've you know, I testified before Congress a couple of weeks ago and and many Democrats uh, House members were saying, look, once they're here, it's it's too late or it's not too late. There's nothing we can do. And they kind of dismiss actually enforcing the law. And so what I would say is just because it's difficult doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. We should continue to enforce the law. And what this administration can do is is to allow ICE immigration officers to do their job. No, you're not going to be able to deport everyone uh, that's here illegally, but you could still do your job and you can still look at states like Florida and like Texas and others that are having to step up and do some creative things, things that we have never seen them do before because they are they are beyond their frustration and breaking point.
0: Yeah, that they are. So, just real quick, we got about twenty seconds. Uh, Censorship—the uh, ruling by the court that says agencies can't censor Americans' opinions—where do you stand on that?
3: Yeah, look, I think it's a great ruling. At the end of the day, look, you know, there's some law enforcement agencies that need to to uh, liaison with some social media companies sure. to make sure that we keep terrorist and terrorist activity out. But there's a line there, and I think this ruling sends a signal.
0: All right, folks, when we come back, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a true patriot who fought to give us the truth on COVID and was censored for a long time. The sort of censorship that Attorney General Landry is now fighting in the courts. Jay Bhattacharya, up right after these messages. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at signup. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Our next guest tonight is one who I think needs to mark another tick in the win column yet again. Just yesterday on Independence Day, a federal judge granted a preliminary injunction that prohibits nearly all of the federal government, including DHS, DOJ, HHS and others, from coercing and colluding with social media companies to censor free speech. Key officials of the Biden White House, the CDC, FBI, State Department and others are also blocked from participating in the federal government's vast censorship enterprises. sounds like a sweet victory in the name of freedom to me. And I'm sure that Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University is going to say something very similar. Doctor, welcome back. I wanted to ask you first off the bat, I think that was a great ruling. As a medical professional for you, when you see something like that, does it give you hope for the future?
4: I mean I'm I'm a, I'm amazed by uh how America renews itself. I mean I, it's 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 still mind-boggling. But like well, you imagine what they did. Essentially the federal government decided that it knew better than uh, outside scientists what the science about COVID was. And because it wanted to make sure that everyone got the vaccine, they 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 essentially forced social media companies uh, to censor posts, they told censor, the, the social media companies who to censor and what to censor. Even true things, like you know, if you had COVID and recovered, that actually gives you pretty good immunity. If you posted that, you could get censored. You could trigger the this, the, the, uh, the the Biden administration censorship enterprise. They essentially use their vast power to violate the American First Amendment um, with, with with impunity during the pandemic. And I'm thrilled by this by this uh, new ruling by the judge. It's it's basically news the American commitment to free speech, which should never. Have been lost at any point during the pandemic, it unfortunately was. Yeah,
0: Mm. you were a victim of that censorship machine, and it's good to see that your science and your expertise, which was unparalleled before the the pandemic, has been restored, and uh, you're back on social media where you belong. It's uh, it's crazy what happened. I want to turn to something else, because some of the censorship early on dealt with anyone who is questioning mRNA COVID vaccines, and now there is a large number of researchers all across the globe, Japan and the Middle East, other places, raising concerns about sudden death uh, uh, incidents that seem to be indescribable, except potentially being linked to the vaccine. Uh, the FDA is loath to change any of the labeling on these vaccines. What's going on and what should we be looking for? What's the right thing for the FDA to do? <sighs>
4: You know, normally when you uh, the FDA approves a drug, you know you have those long list of of all the side effects that you'll you'll hear about it. Uh, That um, that's actually almost, I mean, that's just within the DNA of the FDA. If there's some indication that there's a side effect, the FDA will make sure that the drug companies tell you about it so that you're not misled with the vaccine they've acted very very differently there have been attempts by uh by by academics and uh, and, and folks in the medicine who uh, who, who track these things uh, asking the FDA why they aren't putting some warning labels on the vaccines uh that even for like things that are documented both in the United States and elsewhere like myocarditis and young men and and uh, uh and, and some other side effects even rare side effects often go on I think what's going on is that the fda thinks that putting vaccine on uh, uh, putting labels warning labels on this vaccine would cause people to not uptake it but you know, uh, I, I actually have the opposite opinion of this. If if the FDA thinks that there is a uh, a side effect, it has an, an absolute obligation to do it. The American people at this point don't trust the vaccine. You can look at what happened in the uptake of the recent bivalent booster yeah. last winter. It was it was it was very very low. Like I don't know, 30 percent 30 percent depending on the place in the country you're at. Um, that means that you know seventy percent or more of the American public doesn't trust the advice given by the CDC and the FDA regarding this vaccine, the only way forward is radical transparency. And so, I think that this is a, a bad uh, move by the FDA to try to sort of uh, engineer the psych- you know, psychology of the American people, um, rather than just dealing with the American people as adults and trusting them to make the right decisions. Yeah,
1: Dr. Bonachari, I want to follow up on that because... The labeling process, whether if there's a label or if there's not a label, it seems like a very precious process for pharmaceutical manufacturers, and it seems to have been politicized. The most recent example and and most infamous example uh, of the past that I can think of was Purdue Pharma with respect to the non-addiction label on OxyContin, but for pharmaceutical companies like this, seeing the politicization that, that really COVID across the board, it wasn't just the pharmaceutical industry. It was everything shutting down businesses. Everything um, is, is the problem of politicizing something like that. Has that been going on for a long time?
4: I mean, politics unfortunately has always been a, a, some part of public health, but there have been systems in place to depoliticize things. Like so, so, the FDA needs to be seen as an apolitical organization; It has to not be ruled by pharma. Um, the, but what's happened during the pandemic is that that politicization, which was always somewhat there but kind of in check, has come to the f- the front. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the the distrust the American people now have in public health stems from this perception of politicization. I mean, if you remember from early in the pandemic. Uh, that the public health was, was was adamantly against the anti-lockdown protests. There were just a few of them that, that broke out in like April 2020, May 2020. But then, when the George Floyd protests happened, public health officials and and uh, yeah. academics, a thousand of them, signed a letter saying that 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 the George Floyd protests, Floyd protests were good for public health, whereas the lockdown anti-lockdown protests were bad for public health. Um, I think uh, it's so. It's not just the FDA. Very broadly, public health has been has been p- publicly perceived to be uh, not uh, you know, political, but not just not just political in some some abstract sense, but like narrowly partisan political in the United States. Um, and for the FDA to lose that, you're absolutely right, Amanda. It is precious. It's a, a the American people trust the FDA to represent uh, the the people's interests, not the pharmaceutical companies' interests. And through the pandemic, it often has looked like the FDA has behaved in quite the opposite manner in in representing the the uh, the interest of Pfizer and Moderna, rather than representing the interests of the American people. Yeah, and informed consent is such an important part of our health system. If it's
0: taken away, that's where that trust begins to to erode. Doctor, you have done a lot of work. First off, you handled your own censorship with such grace. And I think all of us who watched yes. you marveled at how you navigated that. And I'm so glad that your voice is restored because you're doing things now that our FDA or CDC should be doing, which is really evaluating what we got wrong in the last pandemic and putting together an extraordinary plan so that we have better ideas, better systems, in place for the next one. Tell us how that process is going and how it's being
4: received uh, by the official public health world. So I, I, I wrote with the seven of my colleagues a document called the Norfolk Group document. Um, uh-huh. It's basically it's like a list of questions, like eighty pages of, of questions and citations, uh, and it's it's the kind of thing where you know if you do if you, an after-action report after a plane crash or or if a patient dies in the hospital, you you do a you do an a, like essentially a, a morbidity and mortality conference in order to assess what went wrong. The point isn't to point fingers, but really it's to to uh, reform the system so that does things don't go wrong again. Um, um, I have to say, I, I haven't I'd like while the the House has held hearings and I, I've actually testified a couple of times in, in a couple of those hearings. It's been difficult to get uh, uh, folks, especially, unfortunately, on the Democratic side to cooperate on this. Uh, they still seem to think that the only problem during the pandemic was caused by uh, misinformation by, you know, people who think that, you know, 5G's. Uh, I don't know, 5, 5G causes cancer or something huh. um, uh, rather than the deep terrible mistakes that public health infra, uh, the officialdom made that the government made um, I'm afraid, John, that if, if another pandemic were to happen, we'd have another lockdown, we'd have more censorship. We, ha- The United States we have not squarely faced the failure of the public health establishment during the pandemic, so we haven't really had the impetus for reform yet. I'm hopeful I, I do think that uh, the upcoming presidential election, you're going to see people on both sides of the political aisle, both on the Democratic side and the, and the Republican side, um, prominent candidates 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 have been criticizing public health. It made a major part of the platform. You have people like Ron DeSantis on the Republican side or RFK Jr. on the Democratic side. So we will have this debate. And I think it's going to be a healthy one. Yeah, it's a needed one.
1: (laughs) Doctor, before we go, we've just got about 45 seconds left. I wanted to ask you, we all kind of had little mini panic moments, I think, when we saw about these five cases of malaria in Florida. And I know that there's no human-to-human transmission. I believe it's only mosquitoes. But I remember during COVID, there was a widely used prolific drug, very safe drug, that was an anti-malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine. Is there any connection?
4: <laughs> I mean, I think that that unfortunately, I think that those malaria cases are because of uh, essentially unchecked immigration um, and bad bad living conditions down there. But um, hydroxychloroquine actually is an effective anti-malaria drug. I, I hope that they use it for those those folks.
0: All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, a Second Amendment discussion with Gun Owners of America Vice President Eric Pratt. Right after these messages. at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the Just News 50 code and you will get 50% off your first order.
5: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
0: Welcome back, America. If you were reading just the news over the holiday uh, week, uh, you would have seen uh, a story that Florida became the 26th state to allow permitless carrying. carry. And oh, Nebraska is right around the corner. will be number 27 soon. This is a movement that caught fire in some of the quickest action I've ever seen in legislative history. Uh, part of it is the great work of the gun owners uh, for America and their senior vice president, Eric Pratt, our good friend joins us right now. Eric, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for
6: having me, both of you.
0: I have been a reporter a very long time, and uh, the last few years have shown me two of the fastest moving legislative state actions I've really seen in my my time. Concealed carry, obviously, and uh, the parents' rights movement, I think, is, is starting to pick up speed. Mm-hmm. But um, a, a strong majority of states are now concealed carry uh, without a permit and uh, more coming on the horizon. Uh, pretty amazing, the, the statement the American people have made, isn't it?
6: Oh, this is fantastic news, John. Uh, You know, and you're right. Gun Owners of America has spent a lot of time and resources all around the country. Uh, We did in Florida pushing legislators to support permitless carry because, quite frankly, many of them were dragging their feet. But we finally got this law pushed across the finish line. And so now it's kind of funny, the the anti-gun left, they've become unglued. They're predicting blood running through Florida streets. But since this law went into effect this month, guess where the shootings have been occurring so far? They've occurred in the Democrat-run cities that have made it more difficult for good people to carry firearms. So, you know, look, criminals by definition, they don't obey the law. So requiring a permit does nothing to stop bad guys from carrying guns and using them in crime. What a permit requirement actually does is discourage good people from carrying. One study found that the burdens imposed by carry permits, things like uh, high fees and restrictions like that, had kept as many as 8 million people around the country from carrying firearms. So GOA, we celebrate what Florida has done, and we'll eventually see that all the predictions that the anti-gun chicken littles are making are totally and completely bogus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric, a few days ago, we celebrated our nation's 247th birthday. And I ran into a friend of mine, a liberal friend, who decided to pick a Second Amendment fight with a gun enthusiast on the 4th of July. And so I'm not responsible for how I made her feel at the end of the conversation. But I've always found that using numbers and statistics are the best way to battle disinformation. Some of my favorite Yeah, that gun confuses statistics.
6: them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. And let me tell you how this resulted. So some of my favorite stats are that the United States uh, ranks third in the world in murder per capita until you remove Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., Philly and St. Louis. And then we drop down to one eighty nine out of one ninety three. There are three million defensive use of firearms every year. Ninety four percent of mass shootings take place in gun free zones. So I, I just rattled off some of these numbers to her and her response each time was some version of that's interesting. I didn't know it. Now, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I do like it when you are able to, uh, pun intended, reload my arsenal with new statistics. So for our audience who likes to engage in these little rumbles, give us some new facts to give them.
6: Well, you know, you're absolutely right, by the way. And when you look at uh, the the murder rates and compare murder rates r- around the world uh, as you did, another way to look at it is uh, the United States is not in the top 100. Even when you look at the total murder rate, we're not in the top 100. And those countries that are in the top 100 most dangerous places, they all have stricter gun control than we do. You know, uh, the, the, the leftist media has made a uh, big to-do about all the shootings around the country around Independence Day. But again, did you notice where they were all occurring? They were in Democrat-run cities, and yet Biden and company are ignoring that and using the shootings to call for more gun control. And you know, they are so hypocritical because whenever there's a police-related shooting, who does the left typically demonize? It's the cop, right? But when there's killings in Democrat-run cities, cities that have enacted tons of gun control and have set up hurdles making it difficult for good people to carry guns, Who or what does the anti-gun left blame instead? It's always the gun, a total
0: blame shifting on their part. Uh, it is extraordinary. And it's uh, it's uh so frequent now that uh, I think people are numb to the hypocrisy. Eric, there's been a significant amount of wins in courts in gun Owners of America right there on the front lines of the legal battles. Uh Important rulings uh, in Texas on the ghost gun ruling and also uh, on the uh, pistol brace. Tell us, bring us up to speed on the victories that are winning. The Second Amendment is repeatedly being affirmed in the courts, isn't it?
6: Yeah, uh, that's been really exciting. Uh, You mentioned our court case in uh, federal district court uh, in Texas, and uh, that's on the the pistol brace ban. This is the biggest gun ban in American history, and it wasn't passed by the Congress. It was just enacted uh, by Joe Biden's pen and his agency, the ATF. This is a completely lawless way to rule, and so we are very grateful Several courts around the country have issued preliminary injunctions., uh, they've done so. Uh, our, our case is one of those. And so that means that our members are protected from this ban. I'll be honest with you guys, we tried to get a preliminary injunction for the entire country for right. gu- gun owners everywhere. Uh, GOA members or not, but the judge wouldn't give it to that, uh, give that to us. We are grateful, however, Uh, that he did give our members a preliminary injunction. And that is huge because, you know, those who understand this, a preliminary injunction means we have a high likelihood of success in continuing uh, the court case. So it doesn't look good for the ATF and Joe Biden.
1: Eric, we've just got about a minute left. Um, We've all seen the trend with respect to shootings in America. It all depends on the perpetrator, whether it gets a lot of news coverage or hardly any at all. And as we saw in this recent shooting in Philadelphia, it was a trans man, I believe. And I wanted to ask you about this tweet because Vivek Ramaswamy just tweeted this earlier. He said 5% of American adults under 30 identify as trans. Five years ago, it was 0.6 of that same demographic. Uh, He said that's not visibility. This is a social contagion of a mental health epidemic. How can this administration, if they were even willing, how could they alleviate that as it as it contributes to the gun crisis or to the crime crisis?
6: Well, the, the, the biggest thing they could do is stop making an assault on the right for people to protect themselves. See, here's the thing. Bad guys are always going to be able to get firearms. And, uh, you know, that can <laughs> you know, it, it, it can obviously come from virtually. Uh, you know, any part of our society, uh, but increasingly we're seeing agitated leftists as being the ones who are uh, taking up guns and shooting people. So all the more reason we need to be able to protect ourselves.
0: All right, folks, one more to go. Brian Leib, a man on the front lines of fighting anti-Semitism, a very important discussion about and a topic a lot of Americans don't want to address, but we need to address. Bigotry and hatred, no room for it. Brian Leib going to talk about what's going on in the world of fighting against anti-Semitism in America and across the globe right after these messages.
1: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free?
0: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Tough topic ahead of us, but an important one. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism isn't a new phenomenon within our country, but it's certainly becoming more prevalent today, particularly with younger generations. Uh, There's been a lot of disgraceful attacks that continue to happen. Our next guest hopes to curtail that problem and reverse that trend. He's helped launch and maintain a new political organization in order to do so. Brian Leib is the executive director of Caseback, and he joins us now. Brian, welcome back to the show.
5: Thanks for having me, John. Hi,
0: Amanda. Good to have you on, sir. Uh, this is such an important issue to the future of our country. The hatred, particularly on the left and the anti-Semitism that's been rising over the last five, six years, particularly really shocking a lot of people. What's going on? What is the undercurrent that has created such a terrible display of anti-Semitism?
5: Well, you're right. It certainly has uh, grown substantially over the last five to 10 years. But let's be honest, uh, anti-Semitism has been very prevalent in society ever since I was a young boy, seven years old, going to Hebrew school. Having a police officer outside of our building every time we went into to Hebrew school, you know, so it's really nothing new right. for the Jewish community. But I will say I do think it is more mainstream in today's world um, through social media, through members of Congress and various people that that give uh, give these people platforms to speak out uh or i should say spread their their lies about the jewish community about israel and about zionism and and by the way that you know anti-semitism has evolved over the years and um it's no longer just you know you look at someone and they're an observant jew and you say well i don't like that person because they look jewish it's evolved now to you know openly critiquing and boycotting the world's only jewish state in israel that's anti-semitism and we're seeing that run rampant through the halls of congress on a daily basis and of course there's a big flare up happening in israel right now and you have rashida Tlaib and Ilhan omar back at it again right on cue spreading their lies about what israel is doing right now so we've got a we've got to combat their lies with truth and uh that's something I'm, I'm deeply committed to doing
1: yeah um brian i think that that even bears out in in culture that evolution of um not only jewish support but on the other side anti-semitism uh, we went to the Auschwitz exhibit at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley a few weeks ago, and I was speaking to the Reagan Library board member who was responsible for bringing that exhibit to the Reagan Library. And obviously, Reagan Library, Ronald Reagan, Republican president. But for a long time, Democrats, it seems like they felt like they have sequestered the Jewish vote and that they had a lock on that. Is there any connection to you? Does it seem like just just colloquially the fact or anecdotally the fact that Reagan Library was able to, for the first time, bring that exhibit to a a Republicans presidential library? Does that show a major shift for you?
5: I would like to say yes, it shows a major shift. But at the end of the day, when you look at uh, the Jewish community in America, uh, they are still overwhelmingly supporting Democrats. Um, and I think something in the neighborhood of 70% of Jewish voters, uh, just recently said that they would vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump, which is really just crazy to me, uh, when you compare Joe Biden versus Donald Trump and what each of them has done or hasn't done for the Jewish community in Israel. Um, but that's certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's the state of affairs that we're in right now. Um, with that said, I think that there are more, there are more, uh, Jews throughout the country and in our community that waking up and they're seeing, you know, what's been happening in the Democratic Party uh, for the last you know, couple decades. The Democratic Party, you know, back 40, 50 years ago, uh, uh, is much different than the Democratic Party that we're seeing today um, and the anti-Semitism that's running rampant throughout, you know, the halls of Congress at a federal level. By the way, it trickles all the way down to, you know, state and local officials uh, and also to college campuses where you have. Uh, Students that are giving speeches that are highly critical uh, of Israel and calling for Israel to be wiped off the map. I mean, never, never in a million years that I think we'd be in a situation where that's happening. But that is. But listen, hope is not lost. Uh, And I think the Jewish community is starting to wake up and seeing that the Republican Party uh, should be our natural home.
0: Ryan, we've got about 45 seconds left. I want to ask something. We had a delegation come through Justin News here the other day and I got a chance to spend some time with some of the members. And they said that the biggest concern they had is that there are these signals in the education system, subtleties that are moving the anti-Semitism to a more mainstream acceptance the way the story of Israel and Palestine is told, the way stories are written or presented to students. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's going on in the education system? Just Is it a, a place where the adjustment is occurring and making anti-Semitism more acceptable?
5: Well, of course. And I think, uh, John, one of the, the biggest things to talk about there is the fact that, you know, Holocaust education is really only in about 10 or 11 uh, state curriculums throughout the, throughout the wow. country right now. And, um, you know, if we start, you know, forgetting, you know, about the past, granted, it was some 70 years ago now, but if we start forgetting about the past and the atrocities that occurred then, um, we're probably going to repeat them at some point. And, and the fact that it's just that situation we are in, but we've got to keep fighting. We can't give up.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. A big thank you to General Landry, to Secretary Wolf, to Dr. Bhattacharya, Eric Pratt, and Brian Leib. Five really lively discussions about topics that are so important to the American public. I'm glad you can engage and join with us and spend a little part of your Sunday. We know how precious your time is. We're always grateful for anything you can do To help us. Also, I want to shout out all our great sponsors, partners, and advertisers. They make this show, the investigative reporting, the breaking news reporting, and the television show we do all possible. One of them, our good friends at AMAC, the Association for Mature American Citizens. You can get an AMAC membership at a discount today if you go to amac.us slash just news. AMAC.us slash just news. I have a five year membership. I challenge you to join me. I think it is a worthwhile endeavor. You get Incredible intelligence and news, and a newsletter and a magazine. You get discounts on all sorts of travel and other products. I just use my card and save a bundle of money when I was traveling on a business trip this past couple of weeks. And then you also get opportunities to join a grassroots civilian movement to work with your legislators around the globe to come up with solutions. And you get access to unique products, including Medicare products. If you're in that age group, boy, does AMAC have a great selection of opportunities for you, far more than what AARP offers. So if you want to join the AMAC army, match me and say thank you to AMAC for supporting Just the News. Well, go to amac.us slash news. And check in today. All right, folks, that wraps up the Sunday edition. We'll be back with regular programming tomorrow. Until then, God bless you and good night. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out.